0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Mindful Metal Jacket. I am your Uncle Joe. Uh, Just kidding. I'm not your uncle, unless my niece or nephew are listening to this. Are you my niece or nephew? Perhaps they're listening. Maybe someday. Probably not now. One of them's four, so he's probably not listening. Another one's seven and... The other two are in prison. So uh, thanks for listening, everybody. You are not my nephew or my niece, most likely, but you are listening. So I appreciate that. This is the Mindful Mental Jacket podcast, and um, I hope that you're doing well. Are you? Reach out. Let me know. I mean, if you want. You don't have to. We don't really know each other, really. Maybe some of, some of you I know. Anyways, I'm really bad at these intros, but, or maybe I'm not. Maybe they're just fine. Who says I'm bad? It's my show, right? Why am I holding myself to a standard of what? No one else has ever done the intros to this show. Why am I comparing? Compare and despair, as we say. Maybe I'm great at it. How about that? How could I not be? It's my show. You see what I mean? Anyways, I hope you're doing well. Weird times, strange times. depends on when you're listening to this. Again, I always assume you're listening the day it comes out or the day I record it, but maybe you're listening to it 10 years from now and the times aren't strange at all. But then again, I guess all times could be strange based on perspective. Maybe these ones aren't strange. But at the time of recording this, we're in uh, seventh month of a pandemic, I think. I think. But it's not so bad. I don't know. I don't know where you are, where you're listening from. I'm in New York. We're doing okay. I think we're testing at under 2%. People wear masks here on the uh the train and indoors. We have uh, some restaurants open 25% capacity, I think. And uh, you know, they take your temperature places. I don't know what that does or means. Doesn't seem to be meaningful at all, but whatever, you know, it's theater. But the masks seem to work pretty well. I know it's uh, controversial, but we got 8 million people here. Everyone's wearing masks, and uh, we're not seeing too many spikes, except for the areas that they don't wear them. But now I'm off on masks. The point is, I'm walking around. I walk around every morning with my friend Gary Veeder, who is a guest, and we have a nice chat and and, um, been doing shows, lots of shows. And uh, it's okay, you know, but maybe you're... uh, not in such a nice position and i understand that but uh i'm just saying it, it it could be a lot worse and uh we adapt we're adaptive folks so here's a fun tip that i think might help you that's what you you want that's what you're looking for right uh anytime you're suffering upset depressed mad angry sad maybe not sad but those other things ask yourself what am i trying to control right now Usually, if you're angry or very upset, you're trying to control something, somebody's reaction to something you said, or the pandemic, or a financial situation. Most likely, you're trying to control something that is out of your control. Sad is different. I mean, sadness is natural, that's part of being a living being. So we get sad, certainly. But uh, just make sure you're not trying to control something that's out of your control. And most things are out of your control other than your own actions. So there's a hot, hot tip right in your butt. Um, Exciting uh, episode today. My friend Anya Marina is on. And uh, I love Anya. If you don't know her, maybe you should. She's a musician, singer, songwriter. She's fantastic. She has a new album out called Queen of the Night that I'm enjoying very much. I'm happy to be friends with her. She is... um, I guess I met her. She was a friend of a friend. She had a podcast for a while with uh, Sam Marill and Phil Hanley, two of my close friends. And um, yeah, so she's sort of uh, around the comedy scene and a funny person herself and a very extremely gifted and talented musician who I love. And uh, I'm happy I know her and I'm happy she was able and willing to do the podcast. I enjoyed the hell out of our conversation. Uh, There might be some audio thing. I think her internet was kind of skippy, clunky. I don't know the words at the beginning, but, um, I think it was a great conversation. I enjoyed the hell out of it. As you know, if you're a fan of the show, I never write down questions or thoughts really. It's just kind of a free form conversation. And sometimes it's easy and flows by other times it's a little tricky and I get nervous or I, you know, the conversation hits stops. Uh, this was one of those really easy, nice ones. It was, uh, Felt like a couple of friends catching up, which it was. Uh, we talk about our childhoods a little bit and some stories that we think may have affected us. And we talk about uh, sobriety. Anya's a so- sober person as well. So we talk sobriety a bit and um, I think therapy and relationships and, and uh, ego and all those good things. And, um, and then at the end, we kind of go off the rails and talk TV a little bit, but that was also fun. And, uh, I really enjoyed it. I hope you do too. I think you will. I don't know. Um, it's Anya Marina and check out her album, check out her albums. If you're on Apple music or Amazon, whatever the hell you do, go check her out. She's fantastic. She's got some great stuff on YouTube as well. And you may have heard some of her music on some big TV shows. I know she's had some stuff on, on the television. So, um, and she had a web series too that you should check out. So, Check out Anya. She's fantastic. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. There's a lot in there that you'll get out of it, I think. And uh, I certainly did. And uh, if you want to come see me do comedy, November 5th, I'm at Lyman Orchards in Connecticut, Middleville or Middletown. I don't know. It should be Headliner Town, right? Uh, It's in Connecticut. Um, Craft beer, comedycraftbeer.com. It's either craft beer, comedy, I think it's comedycraftbeer.com, November 5th. I'm there with Sarah Talamash. And my album is out right now. It's called I Hate Myself. Same as the special, which is available on YouTube. You can go watch the special or you can listen to it. The album version is slightly different. Go check those out. That would help me. And subscribe to this podcast. Leave a nice review and uh, tell some friends about it. Reach out, post it on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Say, hey, I love this podcast. You should check it out. Tell some friends. That really helps. And uh, time for a little wisdom-y quote. And this one, I say it in the show later on, but I think it'll help you. A Buddhist teacher, Joseph Goldstein, I heard say it. It's a good mantra. Nothing to do, nothing to be, nothing to have. Hmm? In other words, you're fine just as you are. All right. I hope you're having a nice day. I hope you're having a nice life. Go easy on yourself and enjoy this conversation with my friend, Anya Marina. We're here, a little delayed Because my food didn't come Sarah's leaving, goodbye Sarah Bye
1: Sarah,
0: uh, love you We love you Sarah Okay, that's it, that's the end of the show uh, <laughs> Anyways, thank you for You being guys don't do a
1: podcast together,
0: right? No, no, we don't We should She's we got do. her vag She has vag, and I have Tuesdays with Stories And then this podcast And for a while, during quarantine Sarah and I were watching tons of foreign films And I got the Criterion channel where we were watching all these foreign films and we were doing a podcast together that went on Tuesdays with Stories Patreon where we talked about foreign films and that was fun.
1: That's great. And did you ever get into marital issues?
0: Um, No, not really. We don't talk about those sorts of... (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sarah and I I never have too many.
1: (laughs) No, you don't. Yeah. You don't seem like a couple that would really fight. You seem like you would. Here's what I'm guessing. If Joe List and Sarah Tolomash, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. If you guys fight in my fantasy slash dream slash, you know, imagined universe of what that looks like, it's probably like most heated it ever gets is one of you going, I don't think that's really what I meant. And then it's like,
0: okay. <laughs> that's pretty dead on. Is
1: that
0: yeah, that's pretty dead on. Occasionally there'll be, you know, a little back and forth or whatever, but I think neither one of us uh, uh, likes or enjoys or is good with confrontation. So um, it's pretty, con- and we're also, we also are easy to get along with, I think, and nice people. So both of you. Yeah. Yeah, but maybe, I mean, maybe we should fight more because we both hold in things too much. I don't know.
1: But, uh, do you ever like have a low blow moment where you're like, that went too far? I'm asking because I, I so. just had a fight with
0: my boyfriend. I don't that's think really so. Good. Yeah, I don't think so. I, I, no. not really. We've never had any kind of like fight fight. We're like, what? whoa! whoa, whoa <laughs> I'm like, we don't do that kind of thing. um So, I think that's good. I mean, I'm not a person that likes to fight in a relationship. Some people enjoy it or like it, or, you know, there's like spark or fire, and they, I don't like being in a, any kind of dramatic situation. I don't like, uh, I just don't like the feeling. So, and maybe it's easier. We don't have kids really, and we're, so that maybe helps. And, I don't know. We we get along pretty good. Or maybe we're just really nice and we love each other. So that's it. I don't know why I'm making that's excuses. That's important. Yeah.
1: No, I think there's it's overrated the whole thing about like drama being exciting and yeah. romantic. I think that's not not the case. I'm lucky that, you know, my boyfriend and I we we don't fight a lot either. And we but we have we've had a couple of those especially in quarantine. You know, and I noticed like I always thought he was the avoidant one or like the, the less committed one or the the hothead. And it's, it turns out it's me.
0: Right. <laughs> it right. Out, it's
1: me. And I, I've always thought I was so nice and like agreeable and easygoing and look at me. I'm blonde. I'm small. I look nice. I'm smiling. I see it when I'm looking at myself on the Zoom. I'm like, I'm a delight, but I am. I'm difficult
0: <laughs> well'll have, have to I'll have to take your word for it. I've never found you to be difficult, but we're not we, we don't know each other that well, I guess, but you've always been extremely pleasant uh to me so
1: well thanks, Joe yeah. well, I'm a big fan of yours, and i as as much as I know you, which isn't terribly a lot. you've been on my podcast that I had with sam morell weren't you yeah, we know nothing with Sam and Phil
0: yeah, Sarah and I were on together. Remember
1: we did that. That's right. You guys were on together. Um, You did such a good job uh, talking uh, talking about uh, 12-step programs. I remember I was like, he's a pro. Like You're good at not overstepping any lines. Oh, thank you. I've thought about that many times in my life. Yeah. But um, why did I bring that up? Oh, I was just going to say I'm a fan of yours as well as being a friend. I mean, you're special, special. so funny and so good I, I always i mean i've yours is one of the few that i've watched multiple times just just like to show other people to show my parents like you got to see this guy he's so funny
0: oh so congrats thank you very much i appreciate it you 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 broke up just a little bit right as you started to talk about how great i am which is which is Damn. the worst the worst timing for me <laughs> I, I need I need this this um but I'm thank gonna you go
1: sit over here where it's better uh, yeah okay. you're welcome I was just saying you're one of the few people whose work I will show to other people multiple times like my parents and whatnot
0: oh I appreciate Did that come
1: through before
0: yeah that was great I just sent your um uh, new album to my niece who's a, a singer and and wants to be a singer or songwriter I think uh she's 15 and and she's a a young singer who struggles with anxiety and depression and and all those good things that it feels like we all suffer with now. And uh, I sent her your new album and she's enjoying it very much. I don't know if I texted you that or not.
1: Oh, thanks. You might have, and I'm maybe bad at getting back to things. That's so sweet. I keep thinking about the youth of America and all they have, well, maybe even the world and all they have to grapple with now that I did not have to think about. Like I've met a couple pre-teens recently that all you know like children of friends of ours around here and I'm just like struck by the stuff that they think about like they're so well read now with the internet and they you know, not that they know everything but like I feel for them the stuff that they're worried about and you know I wouldn't be able to sleep at night either
0: yeah, I just was reading right before this, because um, there's a new David Attenborough documentary or, or movie where he's talking about, you know, the end of uh, the climate and our society, collapse, if we don't do something soon, which is well documented. And I was reading an article every once in a while, I'll Google climate change good news um (laughs) which i'll mention sometimes and then people just send me like climate denier articles and i'm like well that's not what i'm looking for um so don't send those to me i'm not interested but um but what i found was an article in something of the new generation generation z that they're not even worried about it because they're just like well there's nothing we can even do this is Crazy! It's been ruined by, and they call them doomers instead of boomers. It's doomers, and oh. it's this group of uh, young people that are like, "What's the point? It's just too overwhelming," uh, which is not something we need. But yeah, I think about it all the time with social media and and the desire for, you know, likes and and retweets and TikTok and all that stuff on top of you know whatever is happening politically, and then on top of any kind of environmental news and uh it just feels overwhelming for me and i'm a 38 year old person with a meditation practice and a sobriety practice and friends and you know some money and a career and i can't imagine and i i struggle with it it was the final part of that hard. i struggle bad with it and go in dark places so i can't imagine what it's like to be a 14 year old who feels out of control in general without all those things
1: i know i was listening to them and i was just like one of them's 11 and the other one's I think 14 or 15 and they're just like we're fucked (laughs) like (laughs) we were all sitting around a campfire and they're just like I forgot they were joking about something what was she saying kill me now or something like I didn't even know the phrase kill me now when I was 11 but she was delivering it with like you know she sounded like a comic or something she's like just fucking shoot me kill me their parents are very lax they let them swear but um they're these very precocious cute kids but they're they're already like one of them's like I'm pansexual and the other one's like I'm a little lesbian (laughs) like oh wow that's cool I guess like you already you already I mean they didn't have it was interesting I mean I definitely felt old (laughs) listening to them like all right this is a whole new Thing. I don't even think I knew what a lesbian was, or certainly not what pansexual was, until uh, six months ago.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say I don't really know what pansexual is now. I mean, pan means uh, across, doesn't it? No, oh, that's trans. Trans means like
1: I think across. it means everything, like pandemic. Like, oh
0: right, pandemic. I mean,
1: yeah. all. <laughs> it's like boundless, boundaryless.
0: Um Now I'm more the. That- Oh, now more that I said trans means across, but I think like literally in language, like trans am is like trans across America, right? Trans.
1: I think it means change. We don't know what we're talking.
0: I mean, I obviously I know what a trans person is and means, but I think the, what do you call that? Suffix, conjunction, what do you call yeah. the beginning
1: of
0: prefix, a word? Prefix? Pref, pref, prefix? Prologue? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, we Epilogue? suck. This is like a perfect thing. Like we're perfectly caught in this weird generational thing where we're trying to be uh, in the know and uh, progressive, but we're from the 80s. (laughs) So we don't know what we're talking about.
1: All I know is these kids are sitting around the fire and they were just like, we're fucked. This election's fucked. You guys have ruined everything for us. And I I wanted to kind of say like, Hey, don't sweat it so much. It's going to be okay. But anything I thought to say, I stopped myself because it all sounded like a cliche or like a 12 step, you know, just the adage that isn't going to come in handy to that. There really is something to this idea, though, of like just focusing on today, which has helped me get through this time. Like, okay, like right now, I just got bad news or. I don't even know if it's bad news. It's all an opportunity, right, Joe? But I got news that was scary a week ago. I might have to leave my apartment in New York City. And I've been living upstate temporarily during COVID. And it's just like, I don't know what to do. And it's freaking me out. But if I just focus on like, okay, just today, what can I do today? And then just trust that I will do what needs to be done tomorrow, tomorrow. And so on, that actually works.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was just going through it and I was talking to some mutual friends uh, just a little bit ago about the same thing where I, you know, I saw this. Anytime I, I just get triggered by anything, climate change and economic collapse, and we're heading towards collapse and this and that. And I freak out. And then, I send $100 to the Nature Conservancy. That's like, that's some action. And maybe it does nothing if I got really in there and thought about, you know, what does that really do? But you're like, well, that's the action I'm able to take right now. And I'm here now today and I can't control, I can't control anybody, let alone the entirety of society and the entire environment and what's going to happen ecologically to the the planet. I mean, and and it's actually insane and kind of hilarious to think that I that I can, all I can do is, you know, be the change you want to see in the world, whatever, donate money to, uh, you know, a a place that is, is a good organization that will help and try to limit what I'm doing um, to, uh, you know, contribute to whatever's happening in the societary. And, you know, do a podcast that might be helpful to somebody and then do shows tonight that might bring joy to people temporarily. And there's not much else I can do. It's not in my control. And that's the, where I get into trouble as I start thinking that somehow I could control this. And then additionally, even when I'm worried about climate change and bad things, I'm thinking about it from a selfish standpoint. I'm like, oh, my God, am I going to have enough money? Am I going to drown? Is it? Da-? And I'm not even thinking about, I should be worried about people in by the equator like in low low-lying areas yeah. that are gonna actually be flooded and they have no money i'm like i'll probably be fine yeah, so
1: the people in bangladesh they're they're screwed yeah sorry guys if you're listening
0: yeah sorry to all the bangladesh <laughs> we've had a bangladeshian <laughs> guest shafi hossein so oh really so we're cool
1: i uh, learned that on watching some <clears throat> uh National Geographic show that the, that they are being surrounded by, that they're slowly going underwater anyway, just to keep your spirits up. <laughs> that's happening.
0: But anyway, but, but the, th- the point is that, you know, understand that we're not in control of any of these things and we can only do what we can control is, is helpful. And hopefully that was helpful to anybody, somebody.
1: I love that you look at your work as a service. I forget I forget that like music can help people, you know, and I forget that what I do, I know it does. And I get the DMS about that, but it's weird. I've always had this cynical kind of voice. that's like, is it really helping people? I don't know. I know that it must, and it does mean a lot, but it's sort of like one of those, it's like fifth on my list of reasons why I play music.
0: Yeah. It's, it is important. I think to, um, Remember that. And it is not just some new age, you know, um whatever bullshit thing to think that we all do have an effect on the people around us, which has an effect on the people around them, which has an effect around the people on them. And it's not long before you're a lot of people down the road. I mean, everybody knows the feeling of going to whatever uh, a bodega or uh, you know a restaurant and then the the waiter's an asshole and then so you get mad at the waiter and then you leave and then you're mad and so you your wife gets mad because you tell her how annoying that guy was and then she you know it is it really is we are really all are interconnected. So putting out negativity does I think spread negativity and and and, and vice versa, I think.
1: Oh totally. I, I can I'm working on that too like not letting other people's bad moods affect mine. It's really hard. You know, if somebody's in a mood, it's so hard to detach and somehow like not take that on. I mean, on paper, it sounds like, of course, it's not like you shouldn't let that affect your mood. But you know, if I have, if I'm around family or, or anybody close to me and they're having a bad day, it's like my first instinct is for some reason to like change that or be like, oh, you shouldn't be feeling bad. But it's so hard. Uh, One of my, one of my close, friends was saying, you know, give them the dignity of their own experience. I'm like, oh, give them the dignity of their own. Okay. So like if they're having like they're having a bad time, I can let them sort it out. I can say like I'm here for you, I'm listening, but then stop my impulse to fix or solve. And that's really tough for me. That's kind of what I'm
0: working on. Is
1: I find myself doing a lot of like that sounds hard. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I have the same thing. And, and that's one of the things I have in, in my relationship. We were talking about relationships and the same thing. In my mind, it's so funny because I recognize it for me, but not for other people. Someone will complain and I'll be like, well, why don't you do this? If you did this, this would... And I can tell they're annoyed because they don't want a solution. But I'm like, well, why are you telling me if you don't want a solution or help? But then when I complain, people do the same thing to me and they go, you should do this. And I'm like... I'm not asking you for help. All I want. So like everything, it's easier to see in other people, but yeah, sometimes that's all you need is boy, that sounds awful. I mean, that's how I feel so often is just, I just want someone to be like, yeah, that does sound bad. That sucks.
1: You guys are comedians. I mean, I'm so interested in, in your, your gang of people, like your type of your species. Uh, I lived with a comedian, Nikki Glaser, our mutual friend for years and You know, I'm, I'm friends with some of you guys, um, in, in this ancillary way. And I do find that you guys all, you're so hyper intelligent and you all seem to not to generalize, but it's just something I notice. Many of you do seem to think in a certain way that I find different from how other normal people think. And, and a lot of it does, it's very literal. I don't know if it's on any kind of spectrum, uh, Nikki did take a quiz though. Once that's like a quiz for the autism spectrum and she scored high and it's like a oh, wow. simple, and a lot of comedians get this question, right? I can ask you too. It's like an old reader's digest quiz. But, um, but I think what I'm getting to is you guys are all really logical. And so when you hear a problem, it seems like a lot of comics are like, why don't you just do this? Like this is the logical answer. It, and and yet you're also empathetic and sympathetic and like really sensitive. So you're a lot like a lot of the artists I know or musicians I know. But to me, the difference between comics and like regular people is the quickness and the way that your minds think. And it's like, it's almost like you're mathematicians. There's a problem and you know how to solve it. And it's like black and white kind of, or you can see many different permutations of, of, an idea or opinion. And it's like you guys can figure out so many punchlines from if somebody gave you a set of 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 factors or elements, you like quickly come up with a joke or roast joke. It seems like a lot of you work that way, which is so interesting to me. It's not how my brain works.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Well I guess I mean, it's, it's hard because there's so much self-loathing too that I'm like, <laughs> I think we're all idiots and I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> I feel like a moron. But I, there are moments comedically where like I'm on a podcast or in a conversation and I do think, wow, that was really fat. I just did an equation really quickly there where, yeah. you know, someone says one thing and, and you just quickly... It, it, it does feel like math. Um, so you talked talk about Phil, you had a podcast with Phil. I was talking to our friend, Sam Morill last night, and he was talking about how they were sitting around, there was a group of comics sitting around. And Sam was talking about how his father lives in artist housing, but he's not an artist. And Phil <laughs> quickly said, well, your dad's an escape artist. And he said it was <laughs> like, immediately. And then you're just like, that's one of those things where as, as a comic, you're just like, wow, that's, that's amazing. And like, you don't even, I don't even like laugh. I just sit there and I'm like, God, that's great. And an amazingly quick math, like problem solving. Um, I don't know how often it always pertains to legitimate problem solving, but certainly comedic problem solving. Uh, we're, we're good with that for sure. But maybe we're good with regular problem solving as well. I don't know.
1: That's so funny. Yeah, and Phil is dyslexic. So maybe he, maybe his brain does work that way I mean he's so great with one-liners and I feel like he's really great at um fitting in like wordplay and it's it probably comes from not reading so much as like hearing words and being able to like I don't know what I'm talking about
0: no it makes sense I mean I was with you completely I was like okay yeah it makes sense.
1: I, lost. <laughs> I think I relate a lot to the self-loathing like I remember this IQ test that my dad gave me when I was little, like really little, like five. And he was like, uh, okay, here's a glass of water. And I'm going to pour it into a really tall, skinny vase. I'm going to pour it into this short, little fat cup. And it was the same amount of water. But he was like, tell me now, which glass has more water? And he poured the exact same amount in each one. And, you know, of course, at five years old, I point to the tall, skinny one because the fucking trick question. <laughs> right. It looks like more water. And for years, my dad would tell this story about how I failed this IQ test when I was five. He's like, I gave her this IQ test, you know, and she failed it. That's like, no wonder I haven't, self-esteem issues you've told this story about how i'm dumb for my whole life
0: yeah that's awful
1: yeah right i love my dad but that wasn't that wasn't the best
0: yeah i mean no offense but yeah that's 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 brutal (laughs) i was just sharing a story the other day similarly about um my dad, who I love also, obviously, but I remember one time I had a baseball game and he couldn't make it. And he said, how'd it go? And I was like, it was amazing. I walked four times. And my dad was like, Ooh, not good. Not good. People are going to think you're up there trying to walk. (laughs) And I was like, uh, it immediately took away my accomplishment and then made me self-conscious of like, Oh, is everybody thinking about me? And then I was like, then I started like swinging at balls out of the strike zone because I was like, well, I don't want to walk. My People are oh, going to think I'm this bad. So it kind of like fucked me up. And I think about it and it's just funny. I don't know how serious an effect it really had on me, but I think it, it was like, well, you should, to me, it was like, well, you should be really thinking about what everyone else thinks of you. And then, of course, 20, 25 years later, like all these analytics come into baseball and they're like the, a walk is like the most productive at bat you can have. And I was like ahead of my time. I was on base every time yeah. I went, went to the bat. Um, also,
1: walking has absolutely nothing to do with the batter. It has to do with the pitcher, doesn't it?
0: Yes, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I mean, I guess, but people swing at bad pitches, you know, and so they don't walk because they're just chasing pitches. And I was patient. I was being like really. And
1: maybe you were like really discerning, and you're like, "This is a strike," or "This is a ball. This is not a proper pitch." So I'm right. not really at it. Like if I was your dad, I would. I mean, I, I am your dad, and that's why I'm here what i am your dad
0: oh my god (laughs) amazing
1: um no but if i was a parent i think i'd be like um that's the thing i'm working on is like being on the someone's side i struggle with this with my sister a lot like i'm always the the um devil's advocate but it's like your dad should have been on your side like ah that's great you you walked you know the the it's the pitcher whose fault it is, or whatever, it's, or it's not something that you did wrong. It's not a deficiency,
0: right? Yeah, I think that's important, especially with kids. And that's that's the thing too that I think about. I have a niece and nephew, a couple sets of nieces and nephews, and I think about that. Like, you want to be on the side of them and and supportive, and then you're like, you're like, is it bad to be too supportive? Am I gonna? Are they gonna be? And I'm not raising them, but you're like, are they gonna be the person that thinks they're always right if I'm too on their side. So it, it's so tricky thinking about the idea of being a parent or spending time with kids at all, knowing how um, sensitive they are and, and sort of formable. And like, I remember these things from when I was a kid. So they've had some effects They were lasting in my psyche and memory. So it is so tricky to not try not to screw a kid up and try to give them the proper amount of support and adults too, I guess.
1: Yeah. My therapist is always like, Oh, you're definitely the parents will screw up their kids. They just don't know what that moment is like the moment you had with the walk and the moment I had with the IQ test. Like you never know what your kid's going to remember or be quote unquote scarred by. But so many things shaped me like weird moments like that. I remember one, like I had a, I had a lot of i think eating disorder issues but that came out in teenage years which is you know sort of not that abnormal i think especially with women but the more i learn the more i'm like oh it's kind of cross gender cross uh gender gender cross gender Tran- trans-, trans
0: transgender yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh god
1: <laughs> i just want to get back to trans back to trans title of ep um No, my dad, when I was eight, I remember him, he was always weighing me all the time. And I think because I was their first kid and my dad's a really anxious person, he was just constantly weighing me. Like, I don't want to kill the kid. I want to make sure she's the right weight. And I was, I think I was probably on the skinnier side, but certainly not abnormally thin or anything. Like when I look back at pictures, I'm like, huh, I was like a, a normal kind of skinny-ish kid, but not like bony or anything. But anyway, he was weighing me all the time, it seemed like. And um and when I was eight, I remember him saying, like, I would always get if I fell asleep, I would get carried to my bedroom. Like I remember falling asleep in the living room or something, and my dad like carried me down the stairs. And he was like, he like put me over his shoulder and he's like, oh, Jesus Christ, how much do you weigh now? And then my sleepiness, I was like 48 pounds because I knew what I weighed because he was always weighing me. And he goes, when you get to 49, I can't carry you anymore because I'm getting old or something like that. And uh, it was like looking back on it, it was like kind of a cute, no big deal thing to say. And you get to 49, you got to walk yourself down to your bed or whatever. But I remember in my eight year old brain clocking that and being like, don't gain weight. I don't want to get to 49. Because I liked my dad like carrying me to bed. You know, as a little kid, it was like, oh, it's my bonding time with my dad or whatever. I want to be like a baby or I want to be cared for. Um, And I just remember thinking about that like, I don't want to, I don't want to gain weight. And that was like the first time I had that thought. And I think that was a really formative, weird, like snapshot in my childhood. And when I told my dad about it years later, he's like, fuck, I have no recollection of this at all. Yeah. And he's
0: like, if
1: I had known, I never would have said anything like
0: that. Yeah, of course. And and hearing it, you're like, I can see why that would be traumatic for a kid who doesn't, that who only takes it as I better not gain weight because I won't have this moment with my dad. But I also see where... It's funny the idea to me of like your dad's like, all right, the one more pound is the difference of like I won't be <laughs> yeah. able to I mean it's like a funny um joke, you know, um, but that's what that's what I mean. It's just like anything like that, so innocuous, and most I think things that traumatize us or affect us, the other person doesn't even remember. I mean, how many times it's a a whole separate subject, but I mean how many times? you know, you're a sober person, I'm a sober person, where you go to make amends with someone for something you did when you were drinking and they're like, what? Yeah. I don't remember, I don't even know what you're talking about. And like, it, it's been just sticking in, I mean, which is almost like the reverse of what we were talking about, but similar, where it's like, we do something and you're like, oh, I'm such a piece of shit, I said this thing. And, and so often the person's like, I, I don't even remember that. I mean, sure, all right, apology accepted, but I don't even know what you're talking about. I can't believe you've been carrying this.
1: It's so crazy, this stuff we torture ourselves with. Yeah, I had one where when I was 14, I crashed a friend's moped. And when I say crash, I think I think the, the mirror came off. I, I didn't know how to ride it and I accidentally revved it. We were on her driveway and it just quickly went down the driveway and then we skidded, I skidded and the mirror popped off. And I was so ashamed in that moment. I think it was like a sophomore or a freshman in high school or something. I was so ashamed she had just gotten this moped. It was brand new, hours old. And I ruined, I, you know, even as I'm telling this, I'm like, you're kind of exaggerating. I didn't ruin it, but the mirror popped off, you know? And I think the next day I gave her $20. And like, I had all this shame about it for years. And then uh, I, I made an amends to her over Facebook or I tried to. And she was like, she just couldn't stop laughing. She's like, are you joking? Like, this is, that's like, that's a, it's a kid thing. Like, don't even worry about it. I, I never gave it another thought. And I was just like, but 20 bucks to fix a mirror, that's not enough. And I felt so bad. And she was like, please don't, don't worry about it. How kids are. It doesn't matter. Like, you gave me 20
0: bucks. That was nice. Yeah. Yeah. She probably was like, great. And then maybe her Mm -hmm. parents fixed it for free and she kept the 20 bucks and it was best thing that ever happened. (laughs) Um, But there there was another thing I wanted to talk about that I remember from a kid. And I'm sure like no one in my family even remembers this, but there was like a time when I was 11. I know I was 11 because it was during the 1993 World Series. It all comes back to baseball. And my, cousin and a neighbor got like jumped a bunch of guys jumped out from behind these trees and and beat them up and and it was like this big crazy dramatic scene so that was traumatizing alone that you know it felt unsafe and this wild drama and that night I remember you know people were dealing with the police and everything and I think it was like my dad was like told said to my aunt you take him talking about me take him home with you because if he doesn't have an audience he'll be he'll he won't be as as, as rambunctious, or whatever, because I guess I was acting, pff, being silly or, or nervous or whatever, and they were like, Cause "If he doesn't have an audience, he'll be he'll be better." And I remember thinking, like, I wasn't even trying to perform or anything; I was just being myself and thinking, "Oh, do I suck?" Like, I still still um, I still remember it <laughs> and thinking then, like, oh, "Does everybody hate me?" They have to send me where there's like no one around, and and it's funny to think about the idea of me needing an audience. Then and now, but <laughs> yeah. I I do remember thinking like, oh, I'm being like sent away because they're like he sucks, have him go elsewhere. It'll be easier for all of us to deal with our lives if he's not around. And that was tough because I was 11, but I remember it being like, oh man, like I remember driving to my aunt's house like quietly being like,
1: Aww. oh, I think
0: I think I suck. Oh, and no. again, <laughs> again, it wasn't even like I was trying to be something or do something i was just being myself um
1: he said if he doesn't have an audience he'll be
0: i can't even remember Uh, yeah i think he was just like he'll we just get just don't have him around people because he will he'll he'll quiet down or whatever it was
1: yeah your dad nagged you he definitely nagged you
0: yeah so it felt like um you know, I, so I went to my aunt and uncle's house and I just remember thinking like, oh, I think who I am is a bummer. And I'm like, oh, that's probably still the self-loathing I still have now. Everybody check out my new album. I hate myself.
1: (laughs) 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 Um, Wait, what do you think your dad was actually saying?
0: I think it was just like, I think it was pretty much that, like, I'm sure they were, the adults were trying to be like, all right, what should we do? Do we, you know, the, do we call the police? Do we press charges? Should we look for these people? Are they okay? And they were worried about the three people that were, had been jumped that if they traumatized, and which I think is natural sometimes with adults and kids is that you're like, you know, if someone gets attacked, you're like, this is traumatizing for this person. They're not thinking about this is probably traumatizing for this younger kid too, who's just hearing about this. I'm going what they went, they walked to the store down the street on our street. People jumped out from behind a bush and attacked them?
1: Yeah, so you're all traumatized and freaked out. How old were you?
0: I was 11. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: Nobody like took the time to soothe you or ask you how you felt about stuff. I get it in the moment, like maybe as an adult being like, how do we quickly diffuse this situation? Take Joe home. But yeah, to say that about you is kind of unnecessary.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it was just like, so I must have been, you know, I'm sure subconsciously trying to get attention myself of like somebody because again like you said nobody's pulling me aside and going hey this is something that happens or it won't happen or you're fine or whatever you say I don't even know what you would say and so I was probably bouncing off the walls or being crazy and instead of them being like oh someone talked to him and try to settle him down it was like get get him out of here because that way we can kind of sort this out without this lunatic kid running around It feels
1: like such a different time now when I hear my friends who are parents or becoming parents talk about how they parent. I'm like, you're so much more thoughtful than I feel like people were in the 70s and 80s. You know, I mean, with my goddaughters that are young, it's like their parents will tell them no, but they'll tell them why they're saying no. I'm like, no one ever explained why. (laughs) Like, they'll be like, I'm going to say no. And here's why because Anya has to go and that's it you or know, whatever. And it's like, why are you respecting this seven-year-old?
0: <laughs> right, right. And but it's
1: really sweet.
0: Yeah. And that's, what's weird too. Cause then you're like, you do worry. And this is what like, you know, everyone says about this young generation, this which happens with every generation, every oh, yeah. generation thinks their generation was the toughest. And it's funny. Cause now I'll see on like social media, I follow all these, I'm a big sports guy. So I follow. All these hockey, I'm a big hockey guy, and everything's like the NHL in the 90s. That's when it was tough. And that's when it, baseball was this in the 90s. But I'm like, I remember being in the 90s and everyone's saying back in the 70s, this was. So it is just this thing of like every generation thinks their generation was the best. And not to go too deep into sports, but like I remember in 2003, 2004, there was like these amazing, I'm, I'm from Boston. So there was these amazing you know, baseball playoffs. And I was like, this is the most unbelievable sports ever. And I remember this guy said back in the seventies, it was real. That's when it was, and I remember <laughs> yeah. thinking, what are you insane? Like this, is we're going to game seven. Like It was an extra innings. There was a brawl. I'm like, what are you nuts? This is like unbelievable.
1: Yeah, it's the So
0: best. it's, it's natural. I think for every generation to think that, but my original point was like, there are you wonder if there are unintended consequences with being more thoughtful with kids do those kids end up becoming you know narcissistic or or are they is there some unintended consequences which you know i guess remains to be
1: totally like seen. i i had a thing with with my one of my best friends and and her her daughter so i would come into la you know from wherever like new york i'd be visiting and i i would always stay with them but she would say like so Stella, my God, Stella wants to know what time you're coming, which was cute because Stella was like five at the time. And I'm like, ah, I land at one. I'm going to do a couple things. I think I'll be, I'll be at your place by four. And then I would do a couple things in LA, get stuck in traffic and it'd be more like four let's say. And then I would text them and be like, Hey, I'm going to show up at four thirty. And I would do this a number of times. And then finally, my friend was like, Hey, you know, we're really specific with the kids and, <laughs> Can you just give her like if you're gonna be late? Cause I was constantly late. It's a big thing f- for me that now I'm much better at. Um, but I struggled with it a lot. And uh so anyway, I would I learned and I kind of rolled my eyes about it initially, but I was like, all right, fine. So I would tell her, I'm gonna be there between four and five. And then I would really create a realistic window. Like if I'm gonna be 430, I'm gonna say between four and five. And Some people could say, this is just coddling your kids because then they're going to get into the real world and people are late all the time and no one's going to explain to them like, hey, sometimes people are late and they're going to disappoint you. (laughs) Um, But then on the other hand, it's kind of like, maybe there's an upside. I don't know. Is there an upside to it? Now I tell my goddaughters the window of time and I try not to be late, but maybe that is setting them up for perfectionism or like being intolerant of people's human frailties?
0: Yeah. I I don't know. I don't know what the the right answer is. (laughs) And it is hard because it's like, you know, I feel like I struggle with anxiety and depression and alcoholism, but I'm like, I feel like I turned out a really good, thoughtful person. I'm successful. So it's like, you know, I I don't know. Like I, I think as long as you have like baseline Love, I I don't I don't know. It's like it's so hard to know what the right thing is. I'm like I've been riddled with anxiety my whole life, and I'm like something went wrong. I shouldn't be this anxious and scared and fearful all the time. But I'm like I'm also have really good relationships and a good career, so something went right. Um,
1: yeah, do you know how hard it is to find a good partner? Like most people pick terrible partners. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I guess I've been I've been lucky with with that one. Um, we I think what helped Sarah and I we went real. We didn't go for the big the big uh, magical story. We went with, uh oh, you live close. I'm attracted <laughs> to you. That's fine. And then we worked from there. I think that's the key is to get a nice yeah. low baseline and 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 build up.
1: I was just talking to a good friend about that who's been single for years, and uh, she's just like terrified of relationships and she was like do you think i'm too picky and i was like i think i don't know but i know that that not being picky helps but i also know there's something to trusting your gut and like you can't force yourself into being attracted to somebody so the things you mentioned you live close and i'm attracted to you i I mean you were joking but that's so important those two things are so important I kept thinking for years, people in different states or different <laughs> countries.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And um, yeah, and, and the attractive thing is d- definitely key because eventually that comes up. Even if you fake it for a while, it's like you, gotta, you do have to have that. You don't want to make it the most important thing. And it is definitely important. And also, I think the most important thing is self care, like you do have to it is like the I always use the analogy of like, put your own oxygen mask on before helping others, like, you do have to take care of yourself first, and love yourself to some degree, before you're able to love somebody else, it feels like to me, I know that sounds cliche. And again, like, I don't know, hacky or new age or something, but like, you do have to take care of yourself. And for what what really helped Sarah and I too again, is first of all, we got together and married when we were older and we were both sober. And I think that would help. Any, I, I feel like so many problems in relationships, not exclusively, obviously. Sober people obviously have plenty of problems. But so in my past, so many relationship problems were all due to like drinking. Not, not that they came directly from drinking, but that's when things would reach a peak and you'd say things that don't really make sense or certainly aren't productive when you're drinking. I I've, I've felt maybe. I'm oh going, yeah, no, um,
1: totally. I would send texts that I or emails. I would just one drink and I'd be like, "You know what I should do is start an email. <laughs> start a really long email I'm going to regret tomorrow."
0: Yeah, totally. I was a huge I texted everybody all the time when I was drinking <laughs> and it was always you love me or you hate me. Those it, it was somewhere <laughs> in that realm. And um yeah, I think that just having being of sober mind helps you to be like, "Let me pause and really think about what's being said here or what I'm about to say.
1: Yeah, the pause is so big. I mean, it's been really humbling being 10 years going on 11 years sober in February and just like you know, my temper suddenly is a lot. I mean, it's not it's not crazy, but I'm usually pretty good at the pause, but lately I'm just noticing like I need an extra second. <laughs> just one extra second. Because I, it's like there's a voice in my head that's like, no, don't, don't say it, don't say it. Do if you say this, you're crossing a line. You're gonna really regret this, and then you're gonna have to undo. Right, right. <laughs> and uh, and it's just like the other voice that's like, no, I'm saying it. That's a little louder lately.
0: Yeah, but it's yeah. Not,
1: it's not terrible, but yeah, I'm like, I'm a sober lady saying some dumb shit once in a while. Not all the time, but. Yeah. The other day it was, it happened. And I was like, this is going to feel so great to say (laughs) that's how it is. I remember once telling off an 80 year old lady in Portland, Oregon. This is before I got, no, this is just after I got sober. It felt so good to tell her off. And then it felt so terrible. I mean, I just like beat myself up for it, but she was blocking traffic And I hate I had just moved to Portland like, you know, a year earlier and I had had it with the way people drive there. They just they'll be driving 45 miles an hour down the street. And then if a pedestrian who's nowhere near a crosswalk, crosswalk looks like they feel like crossing the street across this kind of like freeway (laughs) or like highway in the middle of town they just, everybody just screeches to a halt. Like, no, no, go. It's Portland. I'm nice. I'm a nice driver. Go. And I'm like, I'm a Californian. You got to fucking, you're going to kill people. What are you doing? You can't just stop. You know, let the pedestrian go walk to a crosswalk. That's not how we do it. Can you hear my number?
0: Yeah, yeah, completely. And I'm I'm on board with you. I'm like, Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. Fuck these people. I feel that way when I go to Maine and all those places and and, and my mother will be like, They move slow here. I'm like, Well fuck them. They shouldn't. That's awful.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This lady was like blocking a whole there were all these cars blocking uh, like a similar kind of like fast thoroughfare, let's call it, you know, forty mile an hour road and just everybody just stopped and i was like what the fuck is this and i i'm like trying to get into my gym and then i realized they're all trying to get into my gym and they're all waiting for one car to pull out meanwhile there's 20 other spots in the parking lots so they're causing this weird log jam because one idiot is waiting for someone to maybe pull out they hadn't even started to pull out they're just right. like i'm waiting here even though there's a huge. So I pulled in around everybody and parked in one of the 20 spots. And then some woman came out of her car and was like, excuse me, that's not the way we do it around here. I don't know why a British lady was living in Portland, but she was. Totally fair. (laughs) And I just said, well, you're not doing it right. And you're causing a huge traffic jam. And I keep walking into the gym and she's like, well, that's not the way we do it around here. And I'm like, well, you're not doing it right. You're causing a traffic jam. And she's like, you need to, you need to, what did she say? You need to um be more polite. And I'm like, you need to get a life. <laughs> and I forgot what came out of my mouth after that, but it felt amazing. I felt like exhilarated and drunk and high. And I was just like, yeah. And then I marched into the gym. And about five minutes later, she came down and we were changing right next to each other in oh, the locker God. room. And I was like, oh, yeah, I hate myself. I feel so bad. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's not a great feeling. I mean, I've done the same thing. I think about there's a, a story I was just telling the other day. And in the moment of telling it, I was like, God, I should really find this guy and apologize. But <laughs> I remember this is years ago. I was in Key West in like 2006, and I was drinking. I mean, it was just a drunk, crazy trip. And, you know, there's all these street performers in Mallory Square. And if you've ever been in, in Key West, and it's great. And there was this guy, he was a magician, like a street magician. He was doing like close up magic. And I love watching magic and I was drunk and just enjoying it. But then he started doing like old jokes, like Rodney jokes and, uh, you know, whoever, Henny Youngman jokes. And I, as a comic and a drunk, I was like, Hey, that's not your joke. Like I started like basically heckling. I was like, that's a Rodney joke. I was like, "What is this guy's doing? Rodney Dangerfield. And the guy was like, Hey, I don't come down to your job. And whatever. I was like, that's, that's stolen too. I was like, you're a thief. This guy's a fucking thief. And I made a big scene. And in my mind, I was like, this guy, is a, he's a comedy thief. He's stealing from comics, and I'm going to ruin his show. He can't do that. <laughs> and now I'm like, looking back, I'm like, who gives a shit? What an asshole. Like, I'm like the biggest piece of shit. This guy's like doing magic. He's trying to make a living, and he doesn't even have a venue to perform in. He's just performing <laughs> on the street of Key West and like bringing joy to children. And I'm ruining his show because I'm standing up for like some kind of comedic integrity. And he's not on the tonight show. You know what I mean? He's just, but I did have a funny line where I was like, you're magic. You're magical, man. That's better than comedy. (laughs) You don't need to do jokes, which I thought was a good point. And so I still like his life coach. I'm still like I still think you know if you're a magician either write your own jokes or don't do jokes you don't even need jokes you're doing magic
1: which magician does jokes yeah I'm with you actually I'm with the drunk
0: Joe all right maybe maybe I was right (laughs) fuck that guy I should have punched him but there it is a thing of like you know that thing we we say and this is good advice to anybody whether they have a drinking problem or not of like does it need to be said does it need to be said now does it need to be said by me and it is a thing of like I could have said it to him after his performance i mean does it really do we really need to prevent this (laughs) magician from doing rodney dangerfield jokes that's
1: so funny yeah you could have slipped him a note i guess you're like this is plagiarized material you and i both know it and your magic makes you shine stick to the magic
0: yeah just do magic exactly it's like you know i can't think of a (laughs) analogy but but it is it is a moment I think about it and I'm like, "Oof, that was I'm sure most people there, if not 100 percent, were like, this guy's an asshole. This I'm, I was a heckler.
1: Yeah. But that goes back to you worrying about what other people think of you.
0: That's a good point.
1: Hey, did you ever see The Squid and the Whale?
0: I did. Yeah. A long time ago. But yeah, I love that movie.
1: Remember Jeffrey Eisenberg's character performs a Pink Floyd song on the talent show and passes it off like it's his own song?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And his parents are like, honey, that is a great song. Like, you know, finally, like, I think one person's like, I think the teacher or somebody's like, that's not your song. Like, you're plagiarizing.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. It was such a great, weird moment that he thought he could get away with that. I think I used to do that, like, in my very early shows. When I'm thinking back and it's kind of embarrassing. Like, when I was open micing or I was like playing open mics. And I would do a song, and then I think I like heard a Sarah Silverman joke, or like read one of her tweets, and I think I remember like telling her joke on stage, oh, like it was mine. I can't remember what it was, but I just remember being like, nobody'll ever know. Like I didn't even consciously think I was stealing. I was just like, that's a funny thing, and I'm gonna say it.
0: Yeah, it's a thing I I heard. I know it. It's it's a joke. So here it is. Um, Yikes. Yeah. Well, I would I would reach out to her in a. <laughs> That's an, I think that's important. Um, this is my
1: amends here. Do you want to hear this? Um, take this test that was in reader's digest ages sure. ago and see if you're a psychopath.
0: All right. Sure. I'm nervous, but yeah, please.
1: <laughs> this is a genuine psychological test. It is a story about a girl while at a funeral for her own mother. She met a guy whom she did not know. She thought this guy was amazing So much her dream guy, she believed him to be that she fell in love with him then and there. A few days later, the girl killed her own sister. What is her motive in killing her sister?
0: Oh God, first of all, I'm afraid to get a wrong answer here (laughs) and be a psychopath. Okay, so the woman's mother- No, if
1: you get it right, you are a
0: psychopath. Oh, okay. So the woman's mother dies, right? That's the story? Uh, yes. And she's at the funeral of her mother and she meets a guy. Mm-hmm. She's never met the guy before. She
1: what they meets- don't say in this is that he's a family friend. Oh, okay. That, that's a- how I was told this thing. She meets a guy who's a family friend. She thought it was amazing. Her dream guy, she falls in love with him. but I guess they don't exchange numbers or anything. And then a few days later, she kills her sister. What is her motive in killing her sister? <sighs>
0: Oh boy, this is fun. Um, <laughs> okay, her motive in killing her sister it must have must have something to do with the guy. I'm, I'm I assume. Um, okay, kills her sister. I get. Does the guy have feelings for the sister? I mean, they don't specify.
1: They don't specify. I'm going to tell you the joke the way Nikki Glaser told me. And Nikki Glaser got the answer right away. And everyone I know who's got the answer right away is a comic. That doesn't mean all comics get it, but they all get it right away. But here's how Nikki told it to me. So it probably, it might be a little easier. And this is exactly verbatim how she said it. A girl goes to her father's funeral. At her father's funeral, she meets a family friend. She falls in love with them right away, but they don't exchange numbers. So a week later, she kills her sister. Why?
0: Boy, I I don't know. I'm not getting it. Okay, you're not a psychopath. You're not a psychopath, and
1: you're probably not on the autism spectrum.
0: Okay, great. Um, But am I a bad comic because of this?
1: (laughs) No, Um, she's hoping to see the guy again at her sister's funeral.
0: Oh, oh, that's really good. <laughs> I, see. I see.
1: So Nikki got it right away. My boyfriend got it right away. He's not a comic, though, but he might be. Um, <clears throat> he might be. <laughs> I don't know what that means. He might be on some kind of spectrum. Um, yeah, I think Sam Morell might have gotten it. I can't remember if I gave him the quiz.
0: Um, that's very good. I think because in my mind, I was thinking they were continuing to be together. That's I'm why sorry. I, was, that's no, what I was she never by. sees
1: him again. She doesn't see doesn't get his number, doesn't see him again, doesn't hear from him. So she kills her sister. I think this so gives it away, so right. she right
0: sister, yeah, see that that makes and it's, it's not not that I would have definitely got it otherwise, but I think I, in my mind, what I was visualizing is like now she's with this guy,
1: oh, got and they're that.
0: they're dating. Yeah, they're is. they're dating or whatever. and then she kills her um. Sister, by the way, I mean, this is off topic, but have you watched The Killing reminded me, have you watched this American Murder, The the Neighbor Next Door? It's a new Netflix doc. No. Like, it's about a guy that killed his wife and, and two kids. It's pretty amazing. Oh,
1: I want to see that. It seems heartwarming.
0: Uh, it's, <laughs> it's really amazing. I don't know if you're into murder docs or oh, not. Oh,
1: where he's on the video and they catch him? On the mm-hmm. video, and like, or, or he sees that they've caught him on video, like loading the bodies into the trunk.
0: Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. The next door neighbor, the neighbor immediately is like, This something's up with this guy. This is crazy. He never acts like this. And it, it's pretty wild. But what's amazing is the woman, the victim, she was on Facebook all the time. So it's like she's just posting all the time on Facebook. And then they have all her texts because of technology. And then the cops are wearing body cams. So the whole thing is like all on. Video, not the murder, but like the right. movie is all all footage. It's it's pretty amazing. Um, but now now we're just way off topic.
1: That's okay. Um, <laughs> have you been watching The Vow about the Nexium cult in Albany?
0: I'm watching The Vow, but I started to get a little tired because it feels a little redundant. The, the from yeah. a film standpoint, where it's like, okay, this guy is a piece of shit. I hate this guy. <laughs> yeah. And now I just keep watching a guy that I hate doing more shitty things. Like I'm like, I, I think it could have been like four episodes.
1: Totally. And why have they not gotten into the MLM part, like the multi-level marketing? I want to see the money that people are spending on these workshops. And when do they cross over the line of being bad people and recruiting other people for the pyramid scheme? Like that's that part to me is like a huge hole in this whole story. Like, is it just Sarah and all the high level people that have to recruit others or because I think that multi level marketing schemes are so shitty, yeah half of, half of my friends are involved in these essential oil <laughs> things. I'm just like, what is happening, you guys? Have uh, you seen this?
0: No, I don't know Oh God. About
1: oh, there's a Netflix documentary. It's not great, but it's called Unwell, and it just talks about all these fads, like you know uh, what's the ayahuasca and essential oils and health fads? and they talk about sort of the pluses and minuses of them but there are all these essential oil companies that are basically pyramid schemes where you have to get in re- spend thousands of dollars on all these oils send the- sell them to people and then recruit a bunch of your friends to do the same and it like kill it ruins people's lives jesus like it's hard to get out
0: i, I mean can't trying to look on the positive side i guess it's people trying to better their lives they're looking for solutions <laughs> to their lives but i think this is what i think a lot of times with like i'm really into obviously meditation and buddhism and we talk about that a lot on this podcast but it's like it, when you really start hearing like solutions you're like oh that doesn't sound fun. It's like, (laughs) just sit and let whatever is happening be. And that's, and and just acceptance. And you're like, acceptance. And you're like, I want to take a pill. I want to use an oil. Can I squirt an oil on my face? And then that's better. And it's actually just, you know, accepting things and and maybe asserting yourself in relationships and, or or whatever it's, I don't know. What, what do you, we got we got to start to wrap up but are you a hopeful person for society what what gives you hope
1: i am a hopeful person what gives me hope is the evidence someone's i have this piece of art at home i wish i could remember something like faith is the evidence in things not yet seen i forget what the quote is but my friend ian who's who's a great guy, uh, an artist made it for me, or he made it and I, I stole it, I bought it. But it's not, I think what gives me hope is that I have evidence. When I look back at the past, I have evidence that everything is working out. And I like, I like this mantra, everything is happening for me, not to me. So even this thing that I told you about, the, the bad surprise that I might have to leave New York, leave my apartment, which I really did not want to do. Maybe that's an opportunity. Maybe that's a gift. And I have to believe that it's happening for me, not to me. Because before I stopped drinking, I saw everything like I'm a victim. All these guys that are cheating on me. They're jerks. I'm losing all these jobs. And instead of like, oh, I'm like, this is an opportunity to look at why did I pick this person that's like totally incapable of having a relationship? Or why did I pick this job where... I wasn't being valued or I was surrounded by people that are toxic, like, you know, starting to take responsibility for my life. So I am hopeful. I love Byron Katie. I don't know if you know her at all, Mm -hmm. but I think she's kind of like in our studies and teaches a lot of the stuff that we're talking about and, you know, a like-minded person, but she has this thing called the work and it's just four questions. And I refer to that a lot. Like the number one question is, is this true? Like this thought that I'm having, is it true? And then number two is like, can I be absolutely sure that it's true? And then three is who am I when I believe this thought? And then four is who would I be without this thought? And that helps me so often. Like when I start thinking about, it's the end of the world, we're going to have a civil war, climate change, we're fucked. You know, I'm just like, is it true? Can I absolutely know this is true? Then the answer is almost always no. Right. So, but who am I when I believe that thought? I have insomnia. I am so anxious. I hate the world. I hate everybody. (laughs) You know, who would I be without this thought? I'd be hopeful. I'd go take a walk. I'd enjoy my boyfriend. I'd walk the dog. I'd make a meal. I'd read a book. You know, it doesn't mean I'm ignorant. It just means like really get real. And yeah. right now, I don't know that that's true. And like you said, take the appropriate action. Like you donated to that nature conservancy and then let go of the results. That was a really long answer, but I think I am hopeful.
0: No, that was a great answer. I appreciate it. I might have you have you text me the name of that person again. Katie. Something oh, I Katie. Will.
1: Yeah, Byron Katie.
0: Um, I love that answer. And that's all wonderful and helped me. So, and then like you said, that not... Um, having being, being without that thought also allows us to be more of service to other people, which is, to me, uh, the way that we kind of get through this as a society is, is everybody is kind of approaches things from a place of service and, and thinking about other people. And I heard a great, great uh, Buddhist thing the other day that I loved that um, Joseph Goldstein was saying, who I love, he's a great Buddhist teacher. And he had a mantra of nothing to do, nothing to be, nothing to have. Is like a thing you can tell yourself when you're just sitting is like, there's nothing I have to be or need to be. I do I'm just me. And there's nothing I have to do right now. And there's nothing I need to have right now. And I, you kind of remind yourself of that. It is helpful because so often we're thinking, like, what am I? What should I be doing right now? What should I be getting? Should I buy this meal? Should I buy that shirt? Should I buy a ticket to so and so? Um, and we don't always need to be doing something or having something or being something.
1: That's so great. You know, I just put out this record and so many well-meaning friends are asking me the same question. And it's like, how are your streams doing? How's the the record being received? Is it being received well? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know how it's being received. We live in this weird time where everything is like social media. Like, I'm not looking at an audience. I don't know how it's being received. I think it's good. I get some DMs. You know, like I get a check once in a while from a thing. Um, So I never know how to answer that. But that quote you just said is going to help me. Like not, I don't have to be anything or do, you know, it's like, I just have to put out my work in the way that i want to put it out and be happy with it
0: yeah and know that it's it's helping somebody and somebody's enjoying it and i've listened to the record a couple times and enjoyed it very much so um, oh
1: thank you so much to me yeah
0: nothing beats
1: someone you're a fan of liking your stuff too so i feel lucky all
0: right um all right anya thank you so much this is a great episode i enjoyed it i hope you enjoyed it i hope people at home enjoyed it uh,
1: I loved it. I love you. Give my love to Sarah. And uh, thanks for making me giggle. You are the best.
0: Oh, thank you, Anya. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. And thanks so much.
1: Mindful Metal Jacket is hosted by comedian Joe List. Produced by Joe List. Edited by Matt Kleinschmidt. Executive Producers Robert Kelly and Matt Kleinschmidt for the Laugh Button Podcasts.